0: Okay. Well, today is the final part of our session on raising children. We'll be doing a new Bible study starting next Sunday, getting into the Christmas season. And uh, our Bible study will be focused on uh, something related to the holidays, and then we'll start something new again in January. So let's go ahead and cap it off with, I think, one of the uh, key things that when it comes to raising children is you got to understand your children are not only seeing what you do; they are seeing what other people do. Your children are not only hearing what you say; they are hearing what others are saying. I think that most parents get this. I think that they understand that essentially you're not the only influence in your child's life. Now we've spoken a lot about influence, but I wanted to end our Bible study, our our um, our series on children on what is the the biggest influencers in your child's life. We discussed coaches, we discussed teachers, we discussed friends. But I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. The Bible says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, communications, you would think is, oh, that's relating to um, what's said. Yes, and that is true, but it also, more importantly, is relating to what is done. It is the it is the actions of people, whether it's words that, re- that turn into actions, what is it, whether it's er- words that cause actions, communications, uh, the, the interpersonal relationships that we have with other people, however they may look, evil interpersonal relationships, evil friendships will corrupt good manners. You could be essentially doing a great job at home. You could be raising your child to know truth, to follow truth. To love God, to know God, and have good manners, good behavior, uh, good attitude in life. But if they are then surrounded by other children who uh, have the opposite belief system, the opposite behavior, the opposite background, what is more likely to happen? Is your child more likely to influence them, or are they more likely to influence your child? Now, I've known of parents who've actually sent their children to a public school. Uh, now, look, whatever reason parents have to send their kids to public school, that's between them and God. I am concerned about this particular reason. Years ago, a parent told me, well, I'm going to pull our ch- child out of the private school. This, was the, this parent does not go to our church. They, they, they never went to our church. But they said, we're going to pull our child out of MCA and put them in public school because we think our daughter can be a missionary to the public school students there. Now, That, at any level, concerns me. At any level, a child below 18 being given the role of missionary in a hostile environment, um, I don't see that in Scripture. I believe adults are to be the missionaries. I believe children are to be trained, not be missionaries during their training. But to make it worse, this child was in, I believe, fifth grade going into middle school, if my memory serves correctly. We're not even talking an 18-year-old. We're not even talking a 14-year-old. This child was like 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old, going into what is the most chaotic time of a student's life, and that is the years of 6th grade through 8th grade, middle school. It doesn't get much worse when it comes to chaos and misbehavior and figuring out what you believe and who you are than middle school. And so this, this young lady went to public school, uh, never came back to our school, but I do know the story ended where the parents pulled her out after one year, and she went back to uh, a private school at another, another location, which I think goes to show you that they probably realized this didn't work out the way they thought it would work out. You know, you may think that's a rare view, though. How many parents really have that view? You know, a lot more than you'd be, you'd probably guess, <laughs> I've had a lot of adults tell me, oh, my child is a missionary to their baseball team. My child is a missionary to their public school. My child is a missionary to you name it. And I think if I was to try to guess at what's going on, I think that a lot of parents are coming up with a justification for the choice they already were going to make anyways. They weren't putting their child in school literally so that my child will be a missionary, and when when they're 20, they'll go on the mission field. That's not what they were doing. Because you know, every parent that I've seen that has done this and has said this, their kids don't become missionaries. They don't send their kids even to, to um, Christian colleges. Their, their kids go on to universities and get a secular job. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. I'm just saying if they really believed their child was going to be a missionary, then there would have been efforts to continue that and to see them on the mission field as adults. I've never once seen that happen. So all I can believe is they've already made the decision, for whatever reason, um, Christian school is too expensive. Homeschool is too hard. The uh, Mom or dad can't stay home, whatever reason. So public school, they think, is the only option. So they send their child to public school, and then they say, well, they're going to be a missionary, because then everyone feels good about that. You know, we've prayed about it. God's leading us. The problem is there is a lot of influence in the public school. The problem is there's a lot of influence on some of these teams. If the, if the coaching staff, if the leadership is not solid on philosophy and keeping the behavior uh, contained i heard a story this is fairly recently of a parent who pulled their child off a baseball team because the coach was the one swearing and belittling the kids it was the kids as well but the coaching staff is now doing this parents i know that raising children is hard i know that raising children is expensive and we don't necessarily want to add more expense on what, to, uh, what is already an expensive endeavor, raising a child. But God warns us in First Corinthians 15 of the issues of allowing especially children who are easily influenced, easily swayed, the issues of evil relationships, uh, the good manners that we've trained, the good behavior that we've trained, will also be corrupt. And then that child whom we love dearly, that child whom we say we would give anything for and do anything for, we actually don't really believe that because we weren't willing to make sacrifices to make sure that the child was surrounded by people who loved God, loved truth, and loved that child. We wanted the child to sacrifice for us. We talked about that months ago as well. Someone in the family will have to sacrifice. Whenever you have people together, someone has to sacrifice. And too many parents are asking too many children to make the sacrifice, go to public school, make the sacrifice, take the hit, be a missionary, get through it, don't listen to your peers, don't listen to the teachers. Like, then what are you doing sending your child there? If they're not supposed to listen to the teachers and follow the teacher's influence, if they're not supposed to listen to the kids and follow the kids' influence, then why are they there? If you can't walk into a public school classroom and say, what the teacher is saying is good for my child to hear. What the teacher believes is good for it to be given to my child. And the behavior of the students is good to be given to my child. Then you need to really second guess where, wh- why you are sending your child to this place. Same thing with sports teams. Same, te- same thing with uh, babysitting. Same thing with family members. Sending your child to stay with grandparents, aunts or uncles. The influence is real. We will say, well, my child will be influenced by me more than anyone else. You can't be confident that's going to happen. You can hope that might happen, and although it is possible to happen, you can't be guaranteed. Here's another mistake a lot of parents make. They think that because their firstborn was strong-willed, their firstborn was um, very unmovable, unshakable in their faith, in their belief system, and they think, man, I'm a good parent. I, I raised a strong Bible-believing, Christ-honoring child who uh, can't be swayed, they made it through public school. Well, I'm going to send the rest of my two or three kids to public school. Here's the thing, not all your kids are the same. And it's more likely that your firstborn, if that is how it worked out, was just naturally that way. You didn't actually parent them that way. Your firstborn, or maybe your secondborn, whatever it might have been that particular child cannot be used as a standard of your parenting. You have to look at that child in its own entity, in its own separate identity. Is this child really strong because I'm a great parent? Or is this child really strong because this child's really strong? And is it right for me to treat the other th- siblings who lack the s- inner strength? Will they survive in the environment that my firstborn survived just because of the personality of my firstborn? And you know, there are some times where families... They think they've done such a great job because their firstborn is a prodigy. Their firstborn is just naturally a lot of positive strengths, and you think I'm a good parent. All the choices I make are great, and they keep, they make the same choices with their other children who are not as the first, and the other children suffer dearly. They lose the other children sometimes, lose them to the world, lose them to uh, to sin. And so we as parents have got to understand: not all children are the same, and uh, what may work for one child because of that child's strengths will not work for all children. And we cannot, we cannot measure our parenting by our best success, <laughs> because oftentimes the best success is going to be successful no matter what you did. That's just how God created them. Nor should we measure our children, our, our parenting, by our work. By, by, by you might say, the weakest. It's got to be somewhere in the average there. Somewhere of saying, ask yourself, what is it, what parenting choices have you made that have impacted these children, and how have they survived? How have they thrived because of that? Now, there's another verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 20. The Bible tells us that a companion of fools will be destroyed. So, if you take the Bible seriously, we now have two verses, both giving us extreme warnings about what happens. When we spend time with others who live in sin, rebellion, and foolishness. And by the way, neither of these verses are referring to children. They're referring to adults. How much worse is the impact and the influence when it's a child? If an adult can be swayed, and they can, it happens all the time. How much more is a child swayed? If an adult can be influenced, how much more can a child be influenced? You say, Pastor Us, adults, are they really that easily influenced? Look around you. Look at how the world has influenced the adults who used to believe strongly about truth and morality, now say, Well, maybe, you know, maybe it is subjective. Maybe it is, you know, truth and morality is kind of based off of what the person feels and, and what they want. I know adults personally who used to be dogmatic in their belief about what was right or wrong regarding morality and now are very, very wishy-washy on that, very um, shallow in their belief system. What changed? Well, they were influenced. And you know who influenced them in most every situation? It was a family member. These adults that I know of, a lot of them, they had a child who grew up in the influence of the world, that child grew up strongly believing the opposite of what the parent believed, and then that parent had to make a decision, continue strongly holding to truth and morality, and offend my child who I've allowed to be influenced by the world because I've placed them in the world, and I've basically set them up for failure, and now as an adult, they believe the opposite of me because they were trained by people who believe the opposite of me. Well, imagine that. And now because they've made those choices... By allowing their child to be influenced, taught, and trained by people who disbelieve the Bible, who disbelieve God, who do not believe there is a standard of morality and truth, now that child grows up, having been influenced by them, is now influencing the adult parents. Isn't that ironic? These parents allowed their child to be influenced by the world, and now indirectly the world has influenced the very parents through the child whom they trained and discipled. You know what's funny? That's actually the process God's Word gives us to do. That's what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to train and to influence and to send out influencers who will then train and influence others. That's our job. And yet we fail at that miserably. Why? I think the parable of the sower and the seeds gives us the reason why. Why? One reason, those who are unsaved fail to even embrace truth at all. I believe for the church, though, it's the two middle reasons. I believe it is the cares of this world and the hardships of this world. One of the seeds did not come to fruition because, although it did grow, it didn't grow fruit. Why? Because it got choked out by the thorns around it. It was planted in a place that was not conducive to its success. When you plant a child in a location that is not pushing them towards spiritual success. Do not be shocked when they find spiritual failure. If you take what is a good seed, because every child is born with sin, yes, but every child is what you might say a clean slate, and chuck it into a flower bed of weeds, will some survive? Yes, some always do. You will always find some flowers, some surrounded by weeds, but a lot more seeds didn't make it. Because the weeds sucked the nutrients and the water from the soil and those other seeds did not survive. And some of those flowers that did survive were not as strong, didn't thrive as much as if they'd been in fertile soil with no weeds surrounding them whatsoever. Parent, God is the one sowing the seed and the seed is the truth and the soil is our heart. But you as a parent can help with that process. That is your job, Why would you put a child in a flower bed where there are weeds, knowing what is likely to be the end result? And why would we as a church and a Christian school allow weeds to grow here? Well, does that mean we don't open up our services to the world? No, no. The world can come in here and hear the truth, but the world cannot grow their weeds here. Something needs to be done. Choices need to be made. Church discipline needs to be enacted when weeds begin to grow. Why? Because the weeds cannot find an opportunity to thrive in God's church. The weeds need to be reborn into fruitful plants. That is what the church's job is to do. Not to let weeds thrive, but to redirect weeds towards flowers. And then the other reason these seeds did not grow was because the Uh, ground was hard. And so because it was so hard to serve God, they gave up and never brought fruit. Now, I believe there's different types of hardships, emotional hardships, spiritual hardships, physical hardships. My suggestion is do not make it hard for a child to serve God. That hardship will come naturally when they become teenagers and adults. You want to give the child a taste of what it's like to serve God. Make it easy for them to serve God. As a teenager, make it accessible for them to serve God. And then as a teenager and adult, as they become adults, start training them for the hardships that inevitably will come so they do not give up. But if you are planting your child in hard ground, like I said that one parent saying, my child's going to be a missionary in the public school, that's hard ground and it's thorny ground. It's hard and thorny. It's both. They got both things going against them. No wonder that child didn't survive in that scenario. But parents say, oh, the... Well, God knows all. God will help the seed to thrive. Except God gave us a parable to teach us wisdom. That there are outside forces that can impact a child. Evil communication corrupts good manners. A companion of fools will be destroyed. Well, I trust God to take care of those problems. Well, God trusted you to eliminate those problems. You see, it sounds great. It sounds really Christian-like. It sounds like you're a righteous individual when you just say, I'm going to trust God with my children. I'm going to do what I think is best, and they're, they're in the hands of God. And God's like, what are you talking about? I, gave them the, I put them in your hands. Yeah, you do what's right. Trust me with the results. But don't trust me with the results when you do what's wrong. Don't trust me with their life when you give them to the world. Don't trust me with their heart when you give their heart to be influenced by evil communication. You see, it sounds righteous when you don't understand the context. You don't understand truth. Anything can sound righteous when you just make it up. But righteous is not what sounds good. Righteous is what is good. What is good not by your standard but by God's standard. Do you know the word of God? Do you know what's right? And are you doing what's right by the child and children in your life? Then you can trust God with the results. Evil communication. Now, that's pretty intense. That's just not talking about someone who's a goofball. That's not talking about somebody who's trying to figure out themselves, you know, what is life. That is someone who's intentionally, intentionally doing evil, intentionally living in evil. If you ever find someone like that in a church setting who is a leader, something needs to be said and done. If you find someone like that intentionally living evil in church at all, leader or not, and allowed to continue unchecked, something needs to be done. You would expect so, right? Right. If you found someone like that in a Christian school intentionally living evil and they were a teacher, something needs to be done. Right? Right. You found a student not trying to just figure out life, not one who makes mistakes, but intentionally living evil. And the school, the administration, is not addressing it with a plan of action which eventually will lead to change or dismissal. Something needs to be done, right? Right. But then we just accept it on, in other cases. And we say, well, it's not church, so You know, I accept that there are are students and leaders and coaches and teachers intentionally living evil. I accept that, and I will place my child there, but at least we know what we're putting them in. What are you thinking? Just because you know about it doesn't make it okay. It actually makes it worse, in my opinion. Now you're knowingly, willingly putting your child in, in evil communication when the Bible tells you it will corrupt them. Well, I don't. You know, I don't put my children in those places. Does your child have a phone? Well, the evil communication comes to them if it's unchecked, unlimited access. Does your child have a game system connected to the internet? Unchecked, unlimited access to the world and the world to them, evil communication. Look, what you as an adult can handle and what you as an adult can say no to, I mean, you're not a child. People should not have to uh, babysit you, but your children are children. Your teenagers are teenagers. Evil communication will corrupt them. And you need to eliminate the evil communication from your child's life. And most definitely, do not put them under the authority of those who are living evil lives. Do not put them under the teaching and discipleship and mentorship of someone who is living an evil life. Companion of fools, that's a friendship. Did you know that you have full authority over who is and is not your child's friend? They don't like that. The friends don't like that. But you don't have to care what their friend's like. You need to ask yourself, what is right? Not what do I feel is right, what is right? What is right for my child? What is best for my child? It's a hard thing, eliminating the friendships from our children. Sometimes it can't be done until you eliminate where those friends are coming from. It can't be done until you pull your child out of a program, possibly out of a school. You can talk to your child and say, stop hanging around them. You can tell your child they cannot come over to your house. You can do these things, and that may help to a degree, but then there are other ways for the child to be friends with them still, especially phones if they go to the same school. Adults, parents, parenting is hard, but often not in the ways we think it is. We think parenting is hard because you've got to clean up after them. You've got to feed them. You have to get them to the places that they need to go to learn and to thrive and to grow. And you think this is hard. Driving them around is hard. Feeding their little mouths is hard. That's the easy part. The hard part is making the hard choices that hurt your child emotionally. Why? Because you know what's right. They don't. You're doing what's right. They're not. So you're going to make the hard decision that will offend them and hurt them emotionally for their good, and they don't understand it. They don't see it. That's hard. And most parents aren't willing to do what is hard. And so most kids get to do whatever they want in those areas. And we're seeing the end result. We are seeing churches full of adult children who are 30 and they're still children. They act like children. They talk like children. They live like children. And their faith is as a child because they weren't raised, trained, and discipled. We see Christians who say they love God, but their life surely doesn't live it because Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'm not seeing a whole lot of Christians out there passionately living for God by keeping his commandments. I see a lot of Christians, supposed calling themselves Christians. I can't know. I can, I can take them at their word for now. But a lot who are passionately worshiping God in what seems to be worship, passionately raising their hands, passionately going to church, but not necessarily passionately living out. The truth of God's word, because they don't necessarily believe the truth of God's word because of the influence they grew up with. So, what kind of influence are you? That's the first question to ask yourself. What do your children, what do the children in your life see in you? Not just here, what do they see? Because what you say isn't nearly as important as what you do. But then it's not enough that you are influencing them. Partner with leaders. Student leaders, adult leaders, partner with those who are older, grandparents or those who who would fill a grandparent role, partner with leaders who will support the influence you are striving to give, God's influence, partner with them, and then actively stay involved in the choices your child is making in influences outside of leadership. Technology, games, friends, relationships, be involved. Do not assume that your child is choosing the right influences. In fact, you should assume the opposite and check. And if they are not choosing the right influences, it is your responsibility to change that. Replace the influence or displace the child. Take them out Put them somewhere else. Eliminate the opportunity that the world has to corrupt your child. That may sound harsh, but you know this. We're going to end with this. We're actually going to end early today, and I'm, you know, we're going to take some questions if you have them. That may sound harsh. That is exactly what the world thinks about Christians. The world thinks we as Christians are corrupting children. They think we are corrupting their children. They, you know, most most of the world would not send their child to a Christian school, of fear that we would corrupt them. So, look, what I'm saying is the same thing they're saying. Why would we both think the same thing? Because we both believe opposite things. The world would say, and by the way, in their definition of corruption, it's true. As Christians, I would most definitely corrupt the belief system of the world. Most definitely. So they're justified in thinking that. I'm not going to let a child under my influence continue thinking what they're thinking. I'm going to challenge them on that. I'm going to corrupt their belief system as far as giving them what I believe to be true. And the world will do the same thing to children given to them. We are both doing the same thing in the same way, with the same passion. We just have different truths that we're teaching. So both sides believes the other one to be the corrupter. So don't think, well, I'll be the good guy and not corrupt their children. They will corrupt yours. And don't worry about calling it corrupting, because that's what they say we are doing to them. Because if we both use the same definition... And we're both solidly on the same foundation of both giving truth that will corrupt the current belief system of that child. I believe that at some point a child has to grow up where on their own they have to decide what they believe and what they hold to. I don't believe eight. I don't believe that's ten. I don't believe it's ten, eleven, twelve, or thirteen. I think by the time they're maybe fourteen and higher, then you really need to start challenging them and let them start to grow their wings. But challenge them by someone... Who will not corrupt them through that challenge? You see, there's a different way. I, I, as our school, I challenge the thinking of our students, but I'm challenging them to point them to Christ, not challenging them to point them away from Christ. I'm not challenging to corrupt or change their belief. I'm challenged to challenging them to solidify, to, an, to strengthen their belief system. It's not the same thing. So who do you want challenging the children in your life? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had to discuss Raising children, working with children, I pray that you would please give us wisdom as we continue training, discipling, mentoring children, whether our own or someone else's, that we would do right by these children, and that we would see a generation of children who grow up discipled and wanting to disciple others. In Jesus' name, amen.